Well, we come now to our introduction to systematic theology lessons, where we've been looking at the major doctrines of our faith, and we are currently looking at the doctrine of the law of God. And today we are going to briefly look at the fourth commandment. Exodus 28, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, as I've mentioned with the previous three commandments, so here with this commandment, there is much to address. There's too much to address. And I think especially more so with this commandment, which I would say is probably one of the most controversial. And I say that because even among those who honor a Sabbath day, there are a number of disagreements. There are debates over which day. Some say the first day of the week. Some say the last. Some say it doesn't even matter what day, as long as you pick a day. There are debates over what exactly we should be doing and not be doing. There are debates even of how the day is to be measured. And these are all discussions just among those who honor the day. Then you have a large segment of professing Christians, probably the majority, who believe that we're not even required in the New Covenant to keep a Sabbath day. They say things like, well, the day of rest pointed to Christ. And since Christ has come, he's fulfilled it. Our rest is in him. So the day of rest is no longer required. And now certainly some of that is true. We rest in Christ. We rest by faith. But none of that precludes a day of rest. And to argue that it does, in my opinion, is an over-realized eschatology. We'll get to it at the end here. So obviously there's way too much to address in 20 minutes. Again, this is simply designed to be an introduction. And since that is the case, then all I want to do today is to just simply look at the wording of the commandment itself and make a few observations. And in the process, we'll address some of these issues. First thing I want you to see in this commandment is that it is of the Ten Commandments. That is, it is a moral law. Now that may seem like a very simple, trivial observation, but it's not. If you read our confession, chapter 19, we're told that God was pleased to give to the people of Israel as a church under age ceremonial laws. And it goes on in the next paragraph, to them also as a body politic, he gave sundry judicial laws, which expired together with the state of that people, not obliging any other now farther than the general equity thereof may require. I know we've said this before, but we just we got to remember there is in Scripture a clear distinction between these different categories of law, moral, civil, and ceremonial. Scripture forces you to make these distinctions. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to make sense of things. When Jesus says, for example, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until it's all accomplished. Meanwhile, at the same time, these old covenant festivals are passing away. New moons and Sabbath days, plural, Colossians is passing away, and sacrificial practices are passing away. You can't reconcile this unless you make distinctions. You would either have to argue that all of it without exception applies today, which would contradict numerous places in the New Testament, or none of it applies today, including the moral code, in which case we can no longer speak of sin or sinners, which would then rid the need for salvation in the gospel, or there's distinctions to be made, some of which expired, not obliging any other now, farther than the general equity thereof may require, judicial, 
some of which were abolished, ceremonial, and some of which binds everyone forever. That is the moral law. The Ten Commandments are a summary of God's moral law. God even made this distinction in the very way that he delivered it to Moses and to Israel and gave them, quote, the ten words distinct from other statutes and rules. Remembering the Sabbath day and keeping it holy is a moral principle. It's a moral law. It's binding upon all people at all times. Note also the, the commandment says to remember the Sabbath day. In the Hebrew, there are two words here. It's not one word that they translate in the Sabbath day. It's two words. The word for Sabbath, Sabbath uh, Sabbat, and the word for day, Yom. Which is interesting because if we were expect a change to occur down the road where we go from observing a day in the old administration to observing this quote-unquote spiritual Sabbath or however you want to word it, where a day is not involved, then we would have expected the commandment to have said, remember the Sabbath, period. But it doesn't. It says to remember the Sabbath day. The remembering of a day, again, is part of that moral command that is still binding upon all people, even throughout the new administration. Another thing I want you to see from verse 8 is that we are to keep it holy. It doesn't say we're to make it holy. Rather, we are to remember and keep the Sabbath day holy. As we also see in verse 11, we did not make the Sabbath day holy. God did. And since he made it holy, it's his day, not ours. Again, a rather simple point, and yet seems to escape a lot of people. Since this is his day, then when it comes to questions about how or what we should be doing or not doing on his day, we better be asking the question, well, what does he demand of us? And yet you often hear not that. You hear people waste no time telling, well, this is what I feel about it. This is what I think. Maybe we should do this, not that. That's not the question we ought to be asking. It's not our day to determine. It's his day. What does God command and prohibit in this commandment? And that should be our only concern. And since it is his day, he not only regulates what we do and don't do, but it is he who appoints according to his word, what day of the week it falls on. So let's touch on that a bit. I want you to notice some things from verses 9 through 11 there in Exodus 20. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in him is, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. A few things to know here. Note what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that the seventh day of the week is the Sabbath. And it doesn't say that the Lord blessed the seventh day of the week and made the seventh day of the week holy. And you got to be very careful here. I've actually heard people recite this commandment that way. But that's not what it says. It says the seventh day is the Sabbath and that the Lord blessed the Sabbath day. Now, why is that important? 
Because what is established in this commandment is not a particular day of the week that is forever binding, but rather this cycle of six days of work, one day of rest. God himself will appoint the specific times, to quote our standards, according to the period of time that we are in. In essence, whether we're in the old dispensation or the new. And as we'll see, God changed the day of the week in the new administration. But in doing so, he's not contradicting himself in the commandment because the specific day of the week was not what was blessed and made holy. It's this 6-1 cycle that is established, representing six days of labor and one day of rest. Again, a Sabbath day. Well, then that leads me to some of my final observations here. Now that we have seen what that, 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 that a day is established and that a 6-1 cycle is established, as well as saying that it's God who made the day and thus makes it holy, and it's his day to regulate, what exactly then is the Sabbath principle? What's the point of this day? Well, the commandment itself points us to the answer. Again, six days shall you labor, do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is. He worked and then rested on the seventh day. Here the commandment points us to when and where it was established and it was done so in the creation week. All that was made, God worked, and he did so in a six-day period. Genesis 2, 2 tells us, Thus the heavens and earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. And so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now, what does it mean that God rested? I actually had a guy at work tell me that God got tired and just needed to take a nap. I'm not, I'm not kidding. I was ready to slap him, but I didn't. <laughs> Did this mean that God went into a slumber? Does this mean that all work in an absolute sense of God stopped? Certainly not. God certainly did not pause his work of providence. The resting here is in the context of God ceasing to do what he was doing in those six days. It's not that God ceased from working, period, but that he ceased with his particular work of creating. The rest here is specific. What we are to rest from is the work that we normally engage in the other six days of the week. And so the Sabbath is not a day of napping. It's not a day of sleeping or just lying on the couch like a sloth watching TV all day. Now, that could be defined as rest in a certain context, but that's not the context of this command. Joe Moorcraft writes, quote, The Creator blessed and sanctified the weekly Sabbath for Adam and his posterity to commemorate the resting of God from his creative work and the manifestation of his glory therein and to be a sign of that rest and fellowship with God, which would be his as he was faithful to God in his life. It would be a participation with God in God's rest throughout his life in worshipful, uh, worshipful and obedient communion with him, Hebrews 4. 
God's rest on the seventh day of the creation week was not one of inactivity. God ceased from the work of creation and began the works of providence and redemption. God's rest was the rest of the light of delight in his accomplished work of creation. Our Sabbath rest is the rest of delight with God in the manifestation of his glory in creation and providence. But there's more to it than that. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but Moses reiterated, or the Lord reiterated, repeated the Ten Commandments after Israel had wandered for 40 years and right before they entered into the land of promise. You ever notice that the fourth commandment is worded a little bit differently there? Listen to it carefully. Deuteronomy 5, verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six, day you, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God on it. You should not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. All right, so far so good. But verse 15, you shall remember that you are a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So he doesn't mention the creation part, but references redemption from Egypt. O. Palmer Robertson writes, at Sinai, God's people had been told to keep the Sabbath because God had rested after the six days of creation. But in Transjordan, God told Israel to keep the Sabbath in view of their redemption from Egypt, not only because of creation, but also because of redemption, the people of God were to rest one day in seven. He goes on, we know that Israel's deliverance from slavery in Egypt by the Passover lamb was only a shadow, a prophecy of the deliverance that would come through the sacrificial death and powerful resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament saints were looking forward to the coming rest from the burdens of sin, just as each week they look forward to their rest from work on the Sabbath day. Palmer continues, but now redemption has been so has been accomplished. Jesus has come as the fulfillment of prophecy. By his death and resurrection, he has brought his people into their redemptive rest. We look back to the salvation that has been completed through Christ. It is finished, was his cry from the cross. And so we know that everything has been done for our deliverance from sin, death, and all other evils in this world. And so now the Christian has a new perspective on the rest of redemption. For the resurrection of Christ is an event that is as significant as the creation of the world. By his resurrection, a new order of the universe came into being. A new way of life for man came into existence, end quote. And I love that part from Palmer there. The Sabbath rest is not only the rest of delight with God, in the manifestation of his glory in creation and providence, but it is a looking forward to the redemption that would come in Christ. And now that Christ has come, the substance has come, what has he ushered in with his coming? A new creation, a new heavens and earth. He's ushered in the consummation. 
And with that new creation comes a new Sabbath day to commemorate the work of Christ in creating a new heavens and earth. You see the parallel? Genesis. And then Christ entered into his rest at resurrection when the work was completed. The day of the week gets changed to signify the arrival of a new creation. But the moral principle of Sabbath day still remains. In it, it, it in turn points us forward to the day when the new creation would be consummated. And I emphasize, please hear me, he ushered it in, he inaugurated the new heavens and new earth. It's not consummated. You want to go the consummated route, that's where you go to where there's no more day. That's why I said it's over-realized eschatology. And we wonder where these hyper-predators pop up and why they pop up. Palmer continues to close. So it, it should not be surprising to find then the disciples following a new pattern of worship and work. They began their week assembling with the resurrected Christ. Consider carefully the following evidence that the redemption accomplished through Christ's resurrection determined the day for Christian worship. One, Christ arose on the first day of the week. Matthew 28, 1. He entered into his rest from labor, not on Saturday, the seventh day, but on Sunday, the first day of the week. As Jesus entered into his rest on the first day, so he encourages us to begin the week by resting in the confidence that he will provide for all our needs for seven days with only six days of labor. Two, Jesus Christ appeared to his assembled disciples on the first day of the week, as well as to Mary and to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, John 20, verse 10, and Luke 24, verse 13. By these appearances on the first day of the week, the resurrected Lord set a pattern for meeting with his disciples. They began expecting to meet with him on the day of his resurrection, which is the first day of the week. Third, Jesus appeared to the assembled disciples one week later on the first day of the week, with doubting Thomas present this time, John 20, verse 26. Already a new pattern of assembly for worship was emerging. God's new covenant people were making it a habit to assemble together on the first day of the week, the day of Christ's resurrection. And Jesus honored these assemblies by appearing to the disciples at that time and encouraged their faith in him as the resurrected Lord. Fourth, the resurrected Christ poured out his spirit on the assembled disciples exactly 50 days after the Sabbath of the Jewish Passover, which was the first day of the week, Acts 2.1. The word Pentecost means 50, referring to the 50 days after the Sabbath of the Passover. 49 days would span seven Jewish Sabbaths or, or Saturdays, and the 50th day would then fall on a Sunday, the first day of the week. So it, it would appear that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit came on the first day of the week when God's new covenant people were assembled for worship. And so the pattern would be established more firmly, both the resurrection of Christ and the outpouring of his spirit occurred on the first day of the week. Fifth, Paul spread the gospel of Christ among Jews and Gentiles throughout the word of the world. The first day of the week was used as the time for Christians to assemble for worship. And then sixth, Paul wrote to the Corinthians in Corinth to establish the pattern for their presenting of offerings for the service of the Lord. He ordered the Christians in Corinth to follow the pattern that had already been set with the churches in Galatia. 1 Corinthians 16.1, on the first day of every week, they were to consecrate their offerings to the Lord. 
And then seventh and last, the Apostle John, now aged and perhaps the only living member of the original 12, had been banished to the island of Patmos. In this circumstance, he could not assemble for worship with the people of God, but the Apostle informs us that, quote, on the Lord's day, he was, quote, in the Spirit, Revelation 1.10. The significance of being in the Spirit seems quite clear. He had entered into the presence of the Lord by the power of the Holy Spirit, he was offering his adoration to him. That one day may be called the Lord's day because it was the day in which he proved to the world that he was Lord. On one particular day, Jesus made the universe understand that he was Lord of all. That day was the day of his resurrection. On that day, he conquered the last of sinners' enemies, which is death. On the first day of the week, he showed that his power would overcome all enemies, even death itself, and that day is the Lord's day. And so by the end of the lifetime of the first apostles, Christians knew about one day of the week that was called the Lord's day. And on that day, they celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And that day became the time for their assembly as they rejoiced in the resurrection of Christ by the power of of the Holy Spirit. And so it is the same with us today. The original commandment to honor God by worship one day in seven still holds, since this requirement was part of the 10 words laying down for us the moral law. One day in seven must be consecrated for worship and service to him. And both creation and redemption show that God must be honored in this way. From the creation of the world until the coming of Christ, that day was on the last day of the week. But now that Christ has come, he has risen victoriously over all his enemies. This victory he won on the first day of the week. And on this day, he meets with his disciples as they assemble to commune with him. And so we are to celebrate the, the rest that he has won for us. We are to taste and anticipate his rest by offering up our worship on the first day of the week. This is the only pattern demonstrated in the scriptures in the new covenant for the worship of God's people today. And that, beloved, is the overall principle. Again, I'm just scratching the surface here. I know there's so many questions of what we can address. But again, that is the principle in a nutshell. As God rested after creating and organizing the universe to his glory, entering into the enjoyment of that completed work, so we, through the new birth, enter into the enjoyment of the application of that completed work of redemption through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is a resting of restored covenantal friendship with the living God through his Son and by his Spirit. A day of worship that not only involves the private worship, but even more importantly, the public, uh, the public worshiping of God through the local body, the local church. So I hope that <clears throat> helps you, again, just to point you in the right direction in understanding the overall point and principle. With that, I'm done. Time's